Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. I just want to say this publicly. My friend Jesse, she just nailed that Oh Holy Night. It's one of my favorite songs. I will say it gives me tremendous anxiety. I don't know. Like the whole time you're wondering, are they going to hit that note, right? It's like the Star Spangled Banner. Is this going to be okay? She nailed it, baby. That was great. Wonderful. So today we are continuing our Christmas series that we are calling Do Not Be Afraid. And for the Christmas season, what we're doing is looking at three different stories that surround the birth of Jesus. And what we're going to see is in each of these stories, an angel appears, whether it's to Mary or, or Joseph today or, or the shepherds, and every single time without fail, they say, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And each week we're talking about, okay, why were they afraid? We want to talk about why they don't need to be afraid and ultimately why we do not need to be afraid either. Last week, if you weren't here, we took a look at Mary's story, and we talked about our fear of God's plans. And I would argue that this is a fear that a lot of us have, but we don't really want to admit it. You know, we're kind of afraid of what God might want to do in our lives. And we learned that for as good as our plans are, and we've got some really good plans, God has something better in mind. And so there's going to be times in your life when he sort of steps into your life, he interrupts your plans with his plans, and he invites you to do something bigger, better, greater, and to give you new purpose. Today, I want to turn our attention to Joseph. Now, I'll just say this about Joseph. If we're being honest, okay, we tend to treat Joseph like a supporting actor or like an extra. He's never sort of the main character. You know, you'll stick him on a greeting card, not a problem. He can be a plastic figure in our manger scenes. We just don't really talk about the guy. And what you might not know is he doesn't have one single speaking line in all of Scripture. But the impact that he had on this world is incalculable. Okay, It's it's incomprehensible. But Joseph had a fear. And it's a fear that many of us have as well. And so today I want to talk about that fear. I want to talk about our fear of what others may think of us. Now, like last week, I would argue this is a a fear that, you know, you're never going to admit publicly to having it, but I think this fear is sort of baked into the human experience. It's just something that's that's inside of us. It's in our DNA. We want to know, hey, do you like me, right? Do you you like the car that I drive? Is it okay? Do Do you like my hairstyle? Am I wearing the right clothes? Does my handbag have the right logo on it, right? Social media, honestly, it's built on this fear, exploits this fear. Everything we post on social media is specifically posted to garner likes. And I love the people that go, oh, I only post this for myself. Sure you do. (laughs) Like if that's the case, get a journal. So it is very easy, very easy to become obsessed or overly overly concerned with what others think. This week, we're going to see Joseph battle with the opinions of others. And he's going to have to decide whether he's going to do what is easy, what is popular, or if he's going to do what's right and what God has called him to do. So let's jump in the story and see what we see. We're going to start in Matthew 1, verse 18. Matthew says this, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So when we hear pledged to be married, we sort of think engagement. Like one of our volunteers got engaged last night, which is very exciting. And we think, okay, you date for a while, then you get engaged, then you get married. That's not what's going on here. According to Jewish custom 2,000 years ago, Mary and Joseph would have already been legally married at this point. 
They're in what's called the pledge period, though. And the pledge period lasted one year. And at the end of this one-year pledge period, there would be a final wedding celebration kind of culminating this whole thing. Now, during the pledge period, the couple would not live together. And most importantly, they would not consummate the marriage, which is key because look what happens next. It says, but before they came together, okay, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So last week, Mary finds out that she's going to get pregnant. She learns about how this is all going to happen. And then she has to relay that story to her husband, Joseph. Now, what is interesting is that scripture does not capture that conversation because I don't think it went well. I mean, guys, if your wife comes to you and is like, hey, so listen, <laughs> that's not going to be a good conversation. It's not going to go well. So Joseph has a little bit of a problem on his hands because based on the story that Mary's telling, I mean, she's either crazy or a liar. Uh, I'm factoring out the, the rare possibility that God is actually doing what she's saying God is doing, his wife, this woman who he loves dearly, is either nuts or lying. And, and at some level, Joseph has got to be asking himself, well, if I stay with Mary, what will others think? Like, like if people think he got her pregnant before the pledge period is over, that's not going to look good. That was really offensive. That was a, a grave sin. People would not do business with that kind of a guy. But if others think that, you know, she got pregnant from somebody else, well, that's really not going to look good. People are going to see him as a, as, a, as a cuckold, to use my favorite Shakespearean term. A man living with an unfaithful woman, raising somebody else's baby. There's, there's no way around it. This is a mess. So what's he going to do? Matthew says that because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he's faithful to the law, which means he's a very holy man. And so he felt convicted that this is, this is not something that I can, I can be involved with. And yet at the same time, he respected Mary. He loved her. And, and to protect her from shame and disgrace, he decides to just, let's just end things quietly, okay? She can go off by herself. She can go raise this baby. She can start over. I can start over. We'll call the whole thing off, put the whole mess behind us, all right? The story continues. But after he had considered this, meaning, okay, here are the pros, here are the cons. Cons definitely outweigh the pros. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So now this angel has, has confirmed the story that Mary has been telling him. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So at this point, Joseph wakes up from this dream. And you've got to imagine the, the mixed emotions that are going through his head. On, on the one hand, this is amazing news. His people have been waiting for generations for the Messiah to come. And, and now he gets to be a part of that. On the other hand, he's thinking, yeah, but what are people going to say? I mean, no one's going to buy this virgin story. What is this going to cost me? On one hand, he gets to change the world. On the other hand, his world will come crashing down. Everyone is going to say, don't marry her, run. God is saying, marry her. What do I do? What do I do? 
Okay? Should I should I do what people want or what God wants? This is a question we will all have to wrestle with at some point in our lives. And I'm just going to tell you this, okay? Pleasing God often means disappointing people. If you want to obey God, there'll be many times when others will not agree with you, nor will they understand your choice. So it's, do I embrace God's purpose for my life, even though it's hard? Or do I embrace what's easy? Do I, do I embrace popularity? The fear of what others may think of us has tremendous power. And Joseph is wrestling with it. Here's what I've learned. When you focus on what others think of you, often you forget what God thinks of you. When you live for the approval of others, you can miss out on God's purpose and plan for your life. And the problem is most of us, well, we want to please people, don't we? We want them to like us. We want to fit in. And, and suddenly, without even meaning to, we, we surrender our lives to the opinions of others, often at the expense of living to please God. Now, here's the good news. The flip side to this is also true. When you focus on what God thinks of you, you will forget what others think of you. And even if you don't forget, you just don't care. Or you don't care as much. When you make the decision to live for an audience of one, shall we say, God, I want to please you in all that I do, that is the quickest and the best way to move beyond, to grow past the fear that we have of what others think. Now, truth is, and you already know this, you, you can't please everybody. We know this. But we certainly try. And if you please one person or one group, inevitably in the process, you're going to displease somebody else. No matter how hard you try, you cannot please everyone. It is a futile exercise. It is a sad way of going through life. You cannot please everyone. But you can please God. You can live a life where God looks at you and says, you did well. You did the right thing. You brought glory to my name. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So how do you overcome the fear of what others may think? You surrender yourself to God. You surrender your heart, your mind, your soul, and you surrender your reputation. You put it all in God's hands. Joseph is going to have to get to a place in his life where he says, you know what? I value the opinion of God more than I value the opinion of others. So how does this play out in our everyday lives? I want to give you two big thoughts on this. First thing I would say is this. If you're not willing to be criticized, you're not ready to serve God yet. Now, that's a big meatball, so let me kind of say that again. If you are not ready, willing, and able to be criticized for your obedience to God, then you are not ready to be used by God. Think about all the ways that Mary and Joseph would be criticized. Number one, they'd be publicly disgraced. Over and over and over and over and over. Okay? Trust me when I say this. Life is going to get significantly more difficult and complicated for this couple for having said yes to God. Secondly, rumors would abound. People are going to whisper, hey, you know that's not really Joseph's baby. right? Okay? In fact, that rumor would follow Jesus his whole life. One day, and you read this in Scripture, Jesus goes back to his hometown, and he's doing his thing. He's preaching, he's teaching. Scripture says that his neighbors are watching this, and they scoffed at him. And they said, he's just a carpenter. Look at this. The son of Mary. Now, this looks like what could be a Christmas song, the son of Mary. It's not. It's a dig. It's a slur. 
According to Jewish custom, you always refer to somebody according to their father. It should be Jesus, son of Joseph. Not here. These people are indicating that Jesus is illegitimate. Now, I don't know how this is going to play out in your life. But there's going to come a time when, when God will call you to do something culturally unpopular. And if you obey, if you say yes, chances are you will get criticized. For example, maybe, maybe God is going to challenge you to give up the party lifestyle, okay? Maybe you're a college kid or you're just in South Florida and, and you're just enjoying yourself. And, and when the weekend comes, watch out, right? okay? But lately, you have felt God calling you to live differently. And you've decided, I'm done. I'm done. I'll go to a nice little happy hour, but I'm done raging on a Saturday night. I've told this story before, but when I moved to South Florida back in 2004, I got sucked into the nightclub scene. It was, it was every Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, but no matter how late I stayed out on a Saturday night, even if it was 4 a.m. on a Sunday, I always made it to church. I prided myself on making it to church. Even if it was two hours of sleep, I got there. Well, one day, after who knows how long, my mom finally speaks up. And, and she said to me, John, you're not giving God your best. You're giving him what's left over. And she was right. And I knew it. As soon as she said it, I knew it. And, and so I made this decision. I go, I'm, I'm, I'm done with Saturday nights. To this day, I make no commitments on Saturday nights because Sunday should be a priority. I was telling one of my close friends um, just last week about this, and she goes, you know, I, I recently made this decision myself. And she's getting the exact same responses I got. Your friends hear this decision, they laugh, and they go, why would you do this? Right? Why would you skip out on all of this fun? And it's fun. Why would you skip out on all of this fun just to get up early and go to church? Because it matters. It's important to me. It's important to God. And it actually makes a difference in my life and in this world. Giving God my best on a Sunday morning, quite frankly, for me, was the least that I could do for all he's done for me. Maybe for you, you feel God challenging you about your sex life, okay? Now, you know what the Bible says about sex, but you've been writing your own gospel, shall we say. And lately, God's spirit inside of you won't let you be comfortable in that sin anymore. And you say, you know what, no matter what I've done in the past, from, from this moment forward, I'm going to honor God with my body. And I'll just tell you this, if you want to stick out like a sore thumb, you want people to look at you like you got 10 heads, tell them you're going to honor God and wait till marriage. I'm just telling you, if you're not willing to be criticized, you're not ready to serve God. Doing the right thing will often put a target on your back. It will make people criticize you, question you. It will draw attention but it's a small price we pay to live for our God. And when you say yes to God, often what you'll find is that extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Think about this. The savior of this world, Jesus, was born. When a teenage girl and a guy not much older said yes to God in a simple act of obedience. And here's the thing. This angel only gave this couple one instruction. You're going to have a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. That's it. No other details. Like, how are we going to raise this kid? 
how are we to discipline him? I mean, do we, do we spank him? Do we put him in timeout? I mean, he's God. He's going to be perfect. Is he going to spank us? God gave this couple zero details. Talked about this last week, but when God steps into our lives, unveils his plan, asks us to trust him, the first thing we always say is, show me the details. I mean, scripture says you want to direct my steps. Great. Love that. Show me the steps. But the one thing you see in scripture is that God does not show you all the details because we can't handle the details. If God showed us everything, we would probably do nothing. We, we, We wouldn't even take the first step. But Mary and Joseph said yes without knowing any details. And what that tells me is that you don't have to understand completely to um, obey God immediately. You don't have to understand everything to say yes to something. Why? Because God's responsibility is the outcome. Talked about that last week. God's responsibility is the outcome. Our responsibility is obedience, just to say yes. See, when God puts a burden on your heart, when you feel him calling you to do something differently, to live differently, you have no idea what you might set in motion with one simple act of obedience. For example, maybe God has put it onto your heart to invite someone to Christmas Eve service. It's, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a coworker, neighbor, friend, and you've just been like, you know what? I, I, should, I should want to invite them to church. I don't know what it is. I just want to show them what we've been experiencing. Through your one simple act of obedience, you have no idea how that person's life might change. You have no idea. You have no idea how their family might be changed. You have no idea how generations might be different because of your one simple act of obedience. Maybe God is prompting you to volunteer at DHC and you're, and you're just thinking, oh gosh, I don't, even, I don't even know what I could do. Details. Don't worry about it. We'll help you with that. I'm just telling you, When you say yes to that prompting, when you say yes to volunteering, you have no idea who you might impact, whose life might be different because you just simply smiled and said, hello. I have heard many, many people, more than I can count, come to me and say, hey, listen, message was great, music was great, but we're coming back here. We felt at home here for the first time in our life because of the greeting we got in the parking lot. You have no idea the impact that you can make by just simply saying yes. It was 2010, and um, it was May. I was up in New Jersey, and um, it was 5 p.m., and the next morning was my friend's father's funeral, okay? When all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, and it was my other friend's dad. And he said, John, the pastor has fallen. She broke her leg would you mind just coming over to Mrs. Berrien's house and helping us write the eulogy? And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is strange. I mean, what does a pastor have to do with the, the, the eulogy bin? I mean, that's a fan. I go, okay, not a problem. Sure, I'll come over. And I helped her. When we were done writing that eulogy, Mrs. Berrien, the widow, she said, John, what I haven't told you um, is that the pastor is not going to be able to do the funeral tomorrow. Can you do the funeral? And this wave of panic went over me. And I was like, Mrs. Berry, and listen, I, I, okay, I know I'm in seminary at this point. I'm finishing up my first year, a three-year degree, first year. But I am not being trained to be a pastor. My degree, where I'm going, is training me to go into academics. So, I mean, 
I can write you an essay. I don't know how to do a funeral. I mean, this is, this is not what I'm being trained to do. And for the rest of my life, I will never forget her next words. With tears in her eyes, she said, but John, we have no one. So I said yes. And I went home. At this point, it was about 10 p.m. And I just sat at my dining room table and I prayed. I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, you've given me a gift of writing, so help me to just write. I pulled an all-nighter. And the next morning, having never taught a Bible study, let alone preached a sermon, I delivered the gospel on a beach in front of 250 people. And when I was done, I felt God audibly speak to me. If it had to happen before, I mean, I and what I heard him say to me was this, John, you may be a writer, but you're going to use your gift inside of my church. After that funeral, I wasted no time. I didn't want to chicken out. I, I emailed my pastor, Dr. Larry Thompson, First Baptist Fort Lauderdale. I told him what happened. I told him what I felt. And he said, okay, okay. Well, let, me, let me give you an internship. Two weeks later, I finally get back down to Florida. Day number one, he sends me to kids camp. Here's a picture, okay? <laughs> that was outside of my comfort zone, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the amazing part. Guess who was driving the van that took me to that kids' camp? It was a young kids' pastor who I had never met before named Adam Duckworth. And guess who was sitting behind me in that van? A young 16-year-old girl named Christina Florio. The two people who five years later I would start downtown Harbor Church with. You have no idea how God will use one simple act of obedience. And so the angel speaks to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And now he's got a choice to make. Does he do what's easy or does he do what's right? Does he do what people would want him to do or does he do what God wants him to do? And in one little verse, we see his decision. And my hope and my prayer is that when God prompts you to do something, this one sentence will summarize your decision as well. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. And through one simple act of obedience, the greatest act of God in all human history was brought into fulfillment. So when God speaks to you, it is natural to wrestle with it. Am I going to do what's easy or am I going to do what's right? Am I going to do what people want me to do and expect me to do? Or am I going to do what God wants me to do? And I promise you, okay, you have no idea what one single act of obedience can set into motion. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at this church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So today we saw a man who truly struggled with the opinions of others. And because of time constraints, we really didn't get into all the details about how much of a, a cultural pickle, if you will, this decision to marry Mary would put Joseph in. Now, we laud him with praise, okay? But his contemporaries would have judged him harshly. His reputation would be shot. He'd be ostracized. 
and life as he knew it really would be changed forever. But ultimately, he valued God's opinion over the opinion of others. So here's the tough question for you this Christmas season. Are you more concerned with what others think or what God thinks? Now, if you're a Christian, and I know a lot of you are, your knee-jerk reaction is going to say, I'm more concerned with what God thinks. Okay. But are you really? I mean, you say that, but do your actions betray you? Because Scripture calls us to live in a way and to believe in a way that does put us at odds with cultures. And if, and if you do what Scripture calls you to do, you will be criticized. People are going to judge you. They're going to question your standards and what you stand for, right? They're, 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 gonna, they're not going to understand why you have chosen to not engage in, in particular activities, but God has called us to be different, even in the face of criticism. Perhaps the finest example of this in all of Scripture is found in the story of Moses. If you don't know Moses, Moses was born a Hebrew slave, but he was adopted into Egyptian royalty. He was born into poverty, but he was raised in pure opulence, he had it all, but God put a calling on his heart. Moses chose calling over comfort. He chose God's purpose over popularity. Take a look at what we read in Hebrews. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to walk away from it all, the, the, the money, the access, everything, because God asked him to. Now, imagine what his friends said. Moses, are you crazy? Your, your, your people are out there making bricks in the hot sun, and you're going to give up all of this? But Scripture said he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Listen, there is value in being liked by everyone. But there's greater value in being loved by the Lord. There is real value in our comfort. But there is greater value in God's calling. There is value in being popular. But there is greater value in serving God's purpose. The decision you make today will determine who and where you'll be tomorrow. So you've got a decision to make over and over and over again. Will you live for the approval of others or will you live for God? Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, there'll be moments in our lives where you step in and you call us to do things differently, to live in a different way, to stop doing something to start doing something, God. And when it comes to those moments, many, many times, we look to other people for direction. We're, we're overly concerned about what are they gonna say and what are they gonna think, Lord? And in those moments when we bow to pressure, we miss out on your purposes and your plans. God, I pray that today, this Christmas season, you would infuse us with new strength to live for you, to say yes to your plans, to embrace criticism, Lord, if it means embracing your purpose and your plans, God. And I pray that by saying yes, even in some simple gesture of obedience, that it might set something into motion that we could have never imagined before. And we would be quick to give you all of the glory.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.